The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hello and welcome to Out of Office. I'm your host, Malika Kapoor. This week, we bring you an extraordinary story of leadership. Please welcome Mark Hoplamazian, whose journey has taken him from a night auditor's job at a three-star hotel to the head of a global hospitality giant. The president and CEO of Hyatt Hotels spoke to my colleague Ed Stapley. He was open, reflective, passionate, and he really did put the corporate talk aside. Maybe it's a case where people, including CEOs themselves, recognize that they're human beings and not a personification of some role, but actually real people. They talked about a range of topics, mental health, his mother's influence on his life, the future of hospitality, and his vision for a post-pandemic world. Here's Mark Hoplomasium with Ed. Well, Mark, thank you very much for joining me today uh, for this Out of Office uh, podcast episode. It's good to see you, even if it is virtually. And perhaps that's a good place to start our conversation, um, our virtual existence and everything that comes with that. I wanted to ask you about your past year with COVID. You know, it struck me that as and when things start to open up around the world and people look to the future, there'll sort of be this deep longing to talk about something else other than this pandemic. Of course, for many in the world right now, that possibility is sadly, you know, quite far off. But, you know, how's the last year been for you personally? You've been in Chicago the whole time. Have you managed to sort of move around at all? First of all, Ed, it's a great pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, needless to say, the the past year in the travel business has been truly horrific in many ways. Collapse of demand and so forth on the business side. But I think the biggest issue has been the people experience of uh, so many people having to be let go, uh, furloughed or, or laid off. And of course, the, that's in addition to, the, to the, both the physical challenges that the uh, pandemic brought, but also other challenges. I think the, the elevated emotional expression that followed the murder of George Floyd and, and then subsequent to that attacks on other minority groups, including Asian Americans here in the United States. But really in many different examples around the world, I think this was all a great emotional and psychological challenge for a lot of people. And um, yeah, so that, that's been the reality of the past year. Meanwhile, I have to say that um, I think whenever you come through a crisis with an individual or, or group of people, the bonds that are created are extraordinarily strong and um, enduring. And, and I've never felt closer to my team ever. It's really been a source of tremendous strength and help for me. Yeah, exactly. And on on the sort of mental health side of things, you know, I suppose to differing degrees, there's been this sort of shared COVID-induced trauma that we've all sort of dealt with in our own ways. And I guess on the one hand, the pandemic, it's, it's sort of common ground. We've all experienced it. And yet on the other, it's sort of deeply personal, you know, and, and, and that kind of makes it difficult, I guess, for some people to really talk about things 
beyond just the surface level. So how have you sort of addressed the mental health you know, impacts of, of the past year, the pandemic on, on your people across the Hyatt group? It's a truly global business. You've got around 127,000 colleagues across about 67 countries, right? So the experiences will be incredibly varied, I imagine. You're absolutely correct. Uh, really, no two people have experienced uh, this past year the same, in the same way. And specifically with respect to holistic well-being, mental well-being included, there still remains a tremendous stigma associated with the topic. And a lot of people are simply reluctant to open up or even have the tools to be able to identify what's really happening. It really does require some very careful reflection on what you're experiencing because a lot of times mental health challenges manifest in physical challenges or in behavioral uh, challenges, which you could maybe misattribute to some other stresses that you might feel. So uh, it's quite an important topic that we had to really think hard about because the employee assistance programs uh, that many companies have, have a very low utilization rate. And I think it, it remains a situation in which people are not sure how to process what they're experiencing, but also the stigma does um, dissuade them from, from uh, engaging. I think the first thing to do, though, as a leader has been to be open about this topic and to share the stresses and strains that I was experiencing, which helps others to recognize that it's okay to be open about it. And it's also important for people to see leaders who they may otherwise consider to be impervious to this or super, super people of some kind to know that, you know, it, it, it has affected me and, and other leaders. So that was the first thing to do. And the second thing to do was to figure out a way to more effectively help people understand what was going on with them, self-diagnose, and then have some resources associated with them. And we rolled out something called Hyatt WellCheck, which is a digital diagnostic tool. We worked with a, um, a, a large medical school and psychiatric department of the medical school that had developed a digital platform for mental health diagnoses for frontline medical workers. And we went to them and said, this is a phenomenal tool. And the take rates were very high. And you can get, gather longitudinal data so that individuals can actually gauge how they're doing over time. And you can link resources to it. So it's very powerful. And we said, help us adapt this to our situation. And we went through about a six-month planning process because we had to also ensure that our leaders knew how to engage with colleagues who could then understand what they were going through and, and identify their own state of play with respect to their mental health. Yeah. So it's sort of this culture openness, I suppose, that maybe... Uh, the, the pandemic has changed. I guess, you know, one of the questions people wonder about is, is the kind of, is there a new breed of CEO now? This whole experience, has it taught people to be different kinds of leaders, particularly for global companies? That's a very deep question. I think maybe it's a case where people, including CEOs themselves, recognize that they're human beings and not a personification of some role, but actually real people. But I do think that the, the call to action really was to be find a voice, to be able to communicate with your colleagues, first and foremost, and, and others. Uh, you hear a lot of CEOs speaking out on other topics right now. And I think that finding their voice really meant sort of stepping back from corporate speak or highly polished, overproduced 
sound bites to really talking about real human experience. So I have seen that. I have seen a lot of CEOs who have gotten deeply introspective, but also open, much more open than before. So I'm not sure it's a different breed, but I definitely think this whole situation has brought a different set of capacities and a a set of behaviors out, which I personally find fantastic. I think this whole sense of uh, self-awareness and also practice of empathy has been magnificent. And I just pray that it keeps going. We need more of that in the world. Absolutely. Um, Mark, I want to talk about your journey to becoming Hyatt's president and CEO. You know, this is a position you took up, I think, in 2006, and it was your first job in hospitality. What attracted you to that role after sort of stints on Wall Street, consulting with BCG, you know, even helping out in your father's landscaping business? Did it become clear that those sexes, you know, they just weren't for you? And how difficult was it to sort of navigate the waters of, of a completely brand new industry? Uh, well, I have to just start off by correcting you. It's my, it was my second job in hospitality. Oh. <laughs> I was, uh, I was, wor- I was uh, studying at the London School of Economics back in 1984, I think it was. And I ended up taking on a, a night auditor job at a three-star hotel on Edgware Road. And um, so that was, my, that was my, truly my first right. experience of hospitality. <laughs> um, but I would say that I, I didn't really think about the fact that I was going to be, you know, become the CEO of a hospitality company as much as the leader or the, you know, join the Hyatt family. I mean, for me, it was a very emotional decision to join Hyatt because I was serving in an interim capacity for about five months before my chairman and I agreed that I would stay and take the job permanently. And I would say that I kind of fell in love. I fell in love with the people. I fell in love with the business. And it was really very much an emotionally driven decision. As much as I, from a business perspective, looked at the situation because Hyatt had just been formed into one one enterprise at that time. And I saw huge potential to take a 60, almost a 60 year old brand, sorry, at that time, 50 year old brand that had a great reputation and a halo, but it wasn't really built for expansion and really taking advantage of that brand reputation and being able to do that. That's like a once in a career opportunity. So that, that was definitely stimulating, but it was really, I think a love story more than anything else. And and I think that all those experiences that I, the experiences that I had for 17 years prior to that time, I worked for the Pritzker family uh, office and I, I came across and engaged in tens of different businesses directly and also made investments across a, a wide variety of different types of, of investment opportunities. So it was extraordinarily diverse. And um, I was constantly in a learning mode because, you know, when you, when you cover that kind of span in the portfolio and also in different types of investments, whether it's lending money or investing equity or, or whatever, you have to continuously look at things afresh recognize patterns when you can, but also be, remain open-minded. So when I started at Hyatt, I, didn't re- I really didn't know the business of hospitality. I knew anything and everything you wanted to know about the tax structure, about the balance sheet, about the P&L, but I didn't know how the business actually worked. So uh, for me, it was second nature. I sort of said, I laid myself bare to everyone. And I said, look, I, I really don't know how the business operates. You have to help me. And after I started asking a series of pretty basic questions, I think the general reaction across the company was, oh my gosh, this guy really doesn't know what he's 
doing? Like we, <laughs> we need to help them out. So it was uh, being the hospitality industry. They were very gracious and, and, uh, and helped me. So it was, a, it was a great beginning. Fantastic. And you went to school in Pennsylvania, then Harvard before University of Chicago, Booth School of Business. What stands out most to you when you look back on those school and university days? Were they obvious choices, those, those places to go to school? I think, uh, frankly, going to Harvard was, uh, was a massive stretch, for my opinion. In my opinion, I, I didn't know that I would be able to get in. I did very well in high school, but it wasn't as competitive as it is today, but it was still competitive. And I have to say that there was some other dimension. My mother attended Radcliffe, which was the girls' school that was partner, uh, the partner school of Harvard. And unfortunately, she never completed her undergraduate degree because her father had a significant, a serious heart attack. And her mother basically pulled her out of school and had her come back to help run the family's grocery store. She always regretted that. She was she was really committed to education and she was really committed to music. It was, it was a lifelong regret that she had. And I really felt that deeply. So when I had the opportunity to go there, I have to say that part of it was a motivation to sort of um, reconnect with that amazing university that she was unable to complete her degree in. And so it, it had a meaning much deeper than just going to a great school. Yeah. She must have loved to come and visit. Oh, it was, uh, yeah, I have a, I, I remember my freshman year, I became uh, completely enamored with this um, Buddhist art professor that I was taking a, a course on Japanese art and architecture. And uh, it was a, it was a seminar. So it was a very small group of, of uh, students. And I, I, I started doing a lot of things with this professor and he, I told him that my mother was going to be in town. He invited us to join him for lunch at the faculty club. And my mom kind of was like completely <laughs> blown away. And he was so gracious and so complimentary. I felt, you know, incredibly humbled and grateful because it was sort of like, um, I don't know, given my mom's own sensibilities, it was a really special experience for her. But also I was kind of proud. I, I really felt like, you know, that she could be proud of me for having stepped up and and shown such great interest in this in this uh, course that the professor reached out to to do this. So yeah, there were some really incredibly special moments, I have to say. And I, I understand, obviously, very close to your mother. I understand your father very sadly passed away when you when you were sort of eighth grade level. That's um, right. I can only imagine, you know, how difficult that must have been. Was that relationship with your mother sort of strengthened as a result of that? You know, how did you find the strength to get through that period of your life? Yeah, uh, it was. There's no question about it. We recently here in the United States celebrated a unofficial holiday called Mother's Day. And um, all of my siblings and I all noted uh, that day, uh, my mother is still alive, but she's not doing very well right now. So she's suffering from dementia and uh, is not completely with us in terms of knowing who we are. But um, we acknowledge that she was really both mother and father. From the time, because my father passed away almost exactly 44 years ago. So she was the person who held the family together. She was the person. And in my life, it was absolutely incredibly transformative. It was a massive inflection point because my father was a very driven person and saw school as a means to making money uh, to an end. My mom was very much of a philosophy that broadening your mind and, and learning to love learning 
was really the the point, the end point. That was the purpose of school. She leaned in with respect to you know her now ability to really guide my education. I'm the youngest of five kids, so all of my brothers and sisters are already passed through school, and so she really took great care in helping to guide me. And um, and I think for in some ways it was very fulfilling for her. She finally got a chance to actually support the things that she thought was, were important. So yeah, it was very, it was a very important time in my life. And she is, uh, she's a giant in my own uh, pantheon of people who have had a huge impact on me. Yeah. And your siblings, are you, are you very close to those five, five siblings? Yes. Um, so I'm the youngest of five. So I have four siblings, uh, two brothers and two sisters, and we, we are close. And I am sorry to say that while we were, I think all loved one another, we were falling a, a bit out of touch. I'm the only one who lives apart, and but they're not exactly in the same area outside of Philadelphia anymore. And the thing that actually really brought us back together and coalesced us um, was my mother's health condition, which really deteriorated over the course of 2020. And um, so I'm sorry to say that that was the, the triggering for a reconnection, but it's... Um, it's been remarkable. We've reconnected and found strength in one another and tremendous commitment and care for my mom. So it's been wonderful. And um, I, I feel much closer to them actually now than I did pre-pandemic, frankly. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, now being in Chicago, was your time at, at the University of Chicago, I think you, you sit on the board as well. Was that time uh, sort of, did it crystallize in your mind that it was a city that you'd love to, to spend a long time in? Yeah, I wasn't really sure about whether I would stay in Chicago or not, but I did love the city. It's a very friendly and welcoming place. I worked in New York City for two years before I moved to Chicago, and as a you know, a, a early twenties uh, person, it was a blast. I mean, I had a great time. I worked at, you know extraordinary hours, which is what the practice on Wall Street was at the time. I guess it still is. But Chicago is a very, very friendly city. It was too early for me to start thinking about children, but it it turns out, since I've lived here through the upbringing of my three kids, that it's a great place to raise kids as well. The business community is unusually close here and very, very civically engaged. I think in other city, major cities, you find a lot of corporations engaging by writing checks. Here, people give money, but they they roll up their sleeves and really directly engage. And um, I, I really find that inspiring and something I want to be a part of. Uh, are you into the deep dish style of pizza? Is that your thing? <laughs> I don't do deep dish. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I have eaten it, but it's not my thing. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I wanted to get your thoughts on, on the sort of future of hospitality and travel. Um, at the recent Bloomberg Disruption event, you said that you felt the death of travel had been greatly exaggerated. But as you know, as we emerge from the pandemic, to what extent will people, do you think, really return to sort of those pre-pandemic levels of leisure and business travel? 
Well, I was confident that that was going to be the case before the last two days. But over the last two days, I attended my very first in-person conference. And that was, it's a hospitality conference that was held in Atlanta. And I cannot describe to you the feeling that people were expressing about being able to see one another, about engaging with one another, about sharing some experiences over this past year. I sat with a group of uh, hotel developers and investors around a dinner table, and the entire discussion was about lessons learned and what, what were some of the enduring lessons that we learned of our, about ourselves. It was really a remarkable conversation and something that you can't do on Zoom, frankly. And by the way, the other refrain I heard from across the board is people cannot are, are just done with Zoom. Early on, I started calling it the tyranny of Zoom because it's, you feel like you're, you're chained to your, your computer all day. And that's, an, that's another reality. So I was very confident that this sense of human connection was so strong that it would draw people back. And once experienced again, it would keep drawing people back over and over. And as, as confident as I was before the last two days, I am, I am certain that we, that's what will happen. Now, it will take some time. And I think one of the key things that has to happen is that people need to start going back into offices because traveling somewhere to go visit a company or a counterpart or a supplier or a customer, it doesn't really work if you're not going to be in a place where you know there's a convening. The justification of the trip is a little uh, questionable if it's something that you would otherwise have accomplished if you'd been on Zoom. So I think I think in order for business travel to fully recover on the individual travel basis, people will start to have to come back to work. Yeah. And, and I think it seems, you know, businesses are now more conscious of costs and carbon footprint than ever before. Uh, I think HSBC's CFO, Ewan Stevenson, said a few weeks ago, I think we're going to travel a whole lot less. We've basically baked in about half of the cost of travel going forward uh, by using a lot more video technology and having people go on fewer, longer trips when they do travel. And many large banks and companies sort of echoed that. Is that a short-term mindset? Do you think that's, you know, that we're just going to eventually and in time, we'll go back to where we were? Well, I don't know that we will go back to the way we were, that we'll get back to the same level of activity in the same way. I think that the, the profile of what travel looks like will change. I can't tell you exactly how. I think this is something that we're, we, we are discovering afresh every month that goes by. So check in with me in a few years and, and we can have another conversation. But I will say that the use cases are already changing. So our first large-scale corporate event is a pharmaceutical company. They've got 1,000 attendees, 1,100 attendees. About half of them are going to be in person, but they're going to be in person at 10 different hotels across the country. Oh, how interesting. Okay. And the other half are going to be virtual. Many of them are outside the U.S., and so, and we've created a hybrid meeting platform called Together by Hyatt, which is a highly integrated platform that includes well-being practices and, and trying to create the same experience for those who are attending in person and those who are virtual. So in this case, people are not necessarily flying around the world to be in one place. They are getting together and they're doing it locally. So I think that those are the kinds of things that people are not taking in account, into account, which is... Yeah, HSBC may not have a global meeting with 300 people coming in from around the world, but they could very well have multiple local meetings 
at hotels that are set up to be able to support that use case and have it be really meaningful and, and special. So that's the nature of why I am so confident because I think this convening need is very, very high. A lot of the consultancies, systems integration companies, and um, technology companies that we serve as our top 10 customers, they have cut office space. So they don't have convening space in their own offices. So now that they are trying to imagine how to bring people together and make a differentiated experience, I think hotels are going to be absolutely a part of that future. Yeah, I, that kind of brings me on to my my next question, actually. And that's whether the pandemic has sort of encouraged you to think about other sources of revenue ac- across your hotel business. You know, I've seen, for example, in your red- relatively newly opened Great Scotland Yard Hotel in London, there's a giant conference screen uh, in there, like massive, and they've got conference facilities. You know, is it features like those that maybe you'll be thinking more about uh, building in the future? Absolutely. I think we need to meet the type of demand where it is. And so that's why we spent, I, we spent a lot of time designing this Hyatt um, Together platform. I would say that the evolution of it over time has to be built in. This is not a static product. This is going to continuously evolve and be responsive to how needs are changing over time. I already see tremendous demand for this hybrid platform. But I'm sure that once we get into it and we start using it, we'll learn and we'll continue to evolve it. Um, so, yes, I would say and Great Scotland Yard is a, a great example of, I think, innovation uh, at the front at the front end. Sholto, our, Sholto Smith is our general manager. He's uh, he's got a, a remarkable open mindedness and uh, has done a great job. And uh, since you experienced the hotel, you also know that there's a, a lot of uh, true independent uh, spirit and personality in that hotel. Yeah, <laughs> so. it's, a, it's a fun it's a fun vibe in there, sort of Sherlock Holmes-esque. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 there's nothing quite like staying in a great hotel. The welcome you get, the local knowledge, the facilities, the food, the drinks, it can make or break a trip, right? Yes. And Hyatt have got many hotels around the world. Um, so a slightly difficult question, but what makes a hotel great? It, you know, if you're given a blank canvas... Where would you start? Is there a sort of checklist where you go, right, let's get up to the five stars, let's tick all these boxes? Or, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you come ab- about with a new, a new concept? Number one is people. When we, when we get feedback from our guests and customers about their experiences, the number one issue for them is how they were treated, what it felt like. And I, I can also tell you that we've done a lot of data analytics on this. Uh, anybody who writes the name of someone who interacted with them while they were on property, that leads to absolute, very clear that it leads to incremental revenue from that person over time. They're, they are booking, their booking behavior matches having been touched by someone that they remembered by name. So that to me is just proof positive. So I would say the, the, the most important thing is the spirit of the, of the people and how they can bring themselves to practicing empathy, staying attuned to the guests that are walking through the front door, trying to meet them where they are, and then making sure that they take action to care for them. So for me, that's the number one thing. The product, of course, has to be a good product. And we're blessed with great, wonderful designed hotels in so many markets. I think we've always been um, had a, a very deliberate eye towards great architecture. That's partly where the Pritzker Architecture Prize came from. Jay Pritzker was always had an eye to the effect that great architecture could have on someone's psyche or how they felt at that moment. And so that was always a, an area of focus. 
And I think food is also a critical element because I think food experiences are something that most travelers really cherish. So we've had a tremendous focus on food and beverage excellence for a long time, but also increasingly focused on trying to help support local restaurants and minority-owned local restaurants. So we are currently working on a project in which we might be able to inventory minority-owned businesses that are uh, restaurants in particular, where we could recommend them as a way to support those businesses in many markets around the world for travelers who are are focused on that and, and very interested in doing that. It's also, it helps to make the fabric of the local community that much stronger. A few kind of quick fire questions here to sort of finish this off here, Mark. Um, and they might not be that easy to answer, but um, <laughs> what's your favorite hotel in the world? You'll understand if I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> have, you got, had, have you got a location that you love to go to? Well, I, ha- I have to say the uh, maybe the most uh, special time that I had with my family was when we, we stayed at a, a camp a glamping operation, if you will, on Vancouver Island. And there was no cell service other than inside the main cabin area, which meant that we spent our time outside every day. And we, my kids who were glued to their phones, um, this is quite a few years ago, they were elated. This was one of the best experiences they ever had. And frankly, it was magical for me for, for that very same reason. So I would say the less connectedness uh, from a Wi-Fi perspective or a, a cell service perspective, the better off we are as a family. Did that, does that tie into your sort of favorite vacation spot or thing to do as well? Well, I think we're, we, we, yeah, we are very much focused on getting into the outdoors. We've been in a lot of wilderness locations, truly off the grid. We do a lot of hiking, a lot of physical activities. So um, our time in New Zealand, for example, this was a number of years ago, and we didn't have Hyatt did not have any hotels open in New Zealand at the time. But um, we had a magical experience. We were hiking on glaciers. We were hiking, doing a lot of hiking, but also the experience of being on a a, a large sheep farm was, I guess they're called stations. Sorry, uh, fa- fantastic, just unbelievable. So those are the great experiences. Yeah, and and final question: If you weren't a CEO, what would you be doing? I think the thing that I'm most passionate about is workforce issues, trying to get people who are out of work uh, and out of school into into jobs, um, because I see that as the main source of inequity, wealth inequity or income inequity or opportunity inequity, at least in Chicago. And I think we see it around the world. So I'd probably dedicate my time to trying to get uh, figure out better and better ways to get people into the workforce and give them a path to the future. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's 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 a, that's a very nice uh, way to finish, I think. Um, and, and look, Mark, thank you very much for your time. It's, it's been, you know, fascinating getting into, um, you know, some of the more, uh, I guess, out, out of office style questions and, and learning a bit more about you. So thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure, Ed. Thank you. That was my colleague Ed Stapley with the president and CEO of Hyatt Hotels, Mark Hoplomazian. I hope you enjoyed their conversation as much as I truly did. This episode was produced by Laura Carlson. I'm Malika Kapoor. Please do check out other episodes of Out of Office. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com. Stay well and as always, thank you for listening. 
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.